CEOs Speak is an exclusive BitBeam podcast series featuring interviews of hundreds of skilled and talented CEOs who share their strategies for leading some of the country's most successful companies. Join Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, as he uncovers the heart and soul of today's business leaders. Today we're fortunate to have with us Steve Seiden, CEO and founder of Acquired Data Solutions, an engineering company that uh, helps solve complex problems for some simple organizations like the Department of Defense, the aerospace industry, the transportation industry, the medical field, food and beverage, and many others. And he has some quiet little clients like uh, North Group uh, and Northrop and the uh, AT&T, uh, Department of Defense. So it's an exciting life that you lead. They're quite busy. How, how do you uh, – well, let me start where I always like to start. I, I – uh, I believe if to understand a company, you really have to un- understand the CEO. The CEO makes a company. And to understand the CEO, you got to go way back. you got to go back as far as the early elementary years. And I'm curious, like, what inspired you? What motivated you? And looking back, could you see and trace that inspiration to where you are today? Absolutely. Great question. Thanks. So I was raised by two entrepreneurial parents. So entrepreneurship was always in my blood, but I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I thought it just meant you get to make your own hours and you got to uh, show up at your kids' games and you got to uh, work when you wanted to work. And, and it looked great. It was a it was a great life on paper. When, when you started, were they started their own businesses or were they uh, in the same business? Were they each one running a different business? They were each running a different business. So my, my father, uh, was a, worked for NSA for many years, uh, as a scientist. And, uh, my parents had three kids and, uh, my father actually met my current business partner in 1975. And what happened was they created an instrument business. And so they were actually producing instrumentation for Pepsi and Coke and different uh, companies to measure oxygen and CO2 in the headspace gas of beer and soda. So I grew up starting programming with my dad at 14, 15 years old. And so and I got to go to different places. So I went to beer shows when I was 17 years old in, 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 in Munich and and all kinds of amazing things that I got to just experience. And so, so it filtered down into you from experience. I'm curious, <clears throat> is there such a thing as an entrepreneurial DNA? Putting it, and, 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 and let me clarify. In other words, if you even never went on any of those trips and you still would have become an entrepreneur because it's in your blood to go out and build something. So I, I, I love the hustle. But the, the issue is, I just, just talked about somebody today, as, as I have a meditation coach and, and, and mentor who's amazing, and we had a Tuesday set sick this week, and he talked about delusion and what's your delu- how are you delusional? And this yeah. entrepreneurial DNA is part of my delusion. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a delusional being that we think we could just go out there and do okay. and things are going to work out. My career is in marketing, and I, uh, I, people come to me starting businesses. And one of the interesting things, you know, a lot of people start with that delusion, that assumption. And I warned them about that. I said, you've got to be careful. Uh, I mean, my, my classic statement is when they come to me, they have this idea for business. I ask, how much do you think I'll make the first year? A uh, hundred thousand. Okay. They took a number. I said, no, I, I think you're going to make a million dollars. So they're very excited. You know, here's a guy with experience and telling them. And they asked me why. I said, well, you're assuming a hundred thousand. I'll assume a million. It's all the same assumption. Like, you know, so it, it, that delusion is part of the process and almost as if you need it to get going. If you didn't have the belief that you can make something happen and you're more logical and linear in your thinking, you would never get going from, you start looking at all the negatives. And you wouldn't get going. You've got to have that delusion in order to, it's almost like a spark plug. 
No? I would say yes and no. So, so if you ask me today, could I make more money working for somebody else than for myself? I, I'd have to really ponder that. Because in the economy we have, where as you grow skills, you can go work for other people and potentially demand more dollars, potentially. Because when you start your own business, you get paid last. But it's not the same. Let's be honest. It's not the same life. It's not the same fun. It's not the same thrill. It's not the same. Who knows? That's the delusion. That's the ride. I, I don't know if it's not the same fun or thrill. You know, who knows? Okay. You know, we say that, we believe that, but is it true? I don't know. What is truth today? We don't even know what truth is. Okay, if you want to go in that way. I know when I was in the agency, I worked in Madison Avenue agencies. Yeah. One day, uh, and our agency won the top ten, so we had a floor above us, so we'd go just by internal stairs. And I'm walking by, I'm just a junior copywriter, and I'm walking behind my creative director, and I said to myself, you know, Charlie, you're following him up the stairs. Someday you'll be where he is and somebody will follow you up the stairs. You'll be walking the same stairs. I said, Charlie, that's not what I want to do with my life. I don't want to just, I want to find my own way in life. And I went out to, to do a script writing and other things and I eventually ended back up in advertising. But, uh, there's that sense of like, you want to discover your own identity. Well, I started, so, so, so one thing you may not know is I started my business out of graduate school 23 years ago. So I've never right. worked for anybody else in my life. Right. So I have no idea what the other side looks like. Okay. I, okay. I, you know, I, okay. I just, all I know is that I stumble and I fall and I get back up and I, and I go, wow, this is hard. And I keep walking and I go, is it, is it easier or harder to work for somebody else? But I don't have that experience. Right. So, so I keep running up that mountain as fast as I can and all of a sudden I slide back down and I keep running back up and they slide back down and it's it's but not, isn't that uh, one of the things you said in our interview from this mentor that you had I think your father's partner who said yeah. to you keep climbing the mountain and Absolutely. keep climbing the stairs you know Absolutely. and I love that statement he said and I want you to talk about it he said you're ready to uh, to give up and he said you give up when you collapse Correct. I, I love I love that thought. It's a great thought. You want to how did explain it? Well, in my life, it wasn't so great, right? Because I wanted to quit, and I'm like, <laughs> "What are you talking about? You mean I have to go and and keep fighting the fight?" And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely. That's how it goes." You know, the great thing about being an entrepreneur and being a business, as most of the time, even through the pandemic, even through what we we've done now and the experience we've had now. We've been able to live another day and fight another fight. And the ability to live another day and fight another fight is really what is amazing. And, and, and my attitude is, is, uh, very optimistic, but it's also very manic. So, because we have all this stuff around us and all this chaos. And it was great, you know, because, because one of the great things in life, whether it was Mark Epstein who gave me that or somebody I'm dealing with now is the wisdom in what they say. And we don't know what the wisdom is when somebody tells you. You have to think about it, and you have to go, what does that really mean? And what does it mean to not quit till I collapse? You know, what a thought thought that is, right? Keep charging till you collapse, because he knows better than I do that I'm not going to collapse. And if I do, then, you know, I do, but I I never did. I once came across a a Talmudic expression that you only understand – the advice of the rabbis when you've experienced it. Until you've gone through it, then now you really understand what they meant with the advice they gave you. Without the experience, it's just words that hover in the air, but you need to have it tactically, you know, uh, to really say, oh, I get it now. Yeah, you know, it is what it's about. Uh, but like you said about yourself as well, you don't like calmness. You don't want stability. You like when the wind's against you and, and then the currents are against you and now uh, you love challenges. I mean, that's your nature of things. Even though you say that, but it's not, you know, right it's not necessarily fun. It's not necessarily fun. It's definitely not fun for all the people in the boat. The people <laughs> on the boat with you, it's certainly not fun for them. And, okay. and my family and my wife has certainly gone through a lot of, you know, my own Emotionals, ups and downs for, 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 for creating, keeping a business alive. And, you know, one of the, one of the best things I can say is that the best advice in my life or in my, that I've gotten in my life is advice that I hated, right? So nobody likes to hear, you know, 
keep doing it till you collapse, right? That sounds like awful advice. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, often I will say something to somebody and they'll say, what about if you think about it this way? And you go, huh. But, you know, but, but you're, uh, we're leaving out something else that he said. When you keep moving, something happens. Absolutely. And, 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 and so that's, a, that's the flip side of, of the collapse, which is, yeah, it's difficult, but you can make things happen and make it all worthwhile because you didn't let it collapse and you kept moving and things fall into place when you keep moving. That is the hope. That is the delusion, right? That if you keep moving, they will fall into place. So, so, and we've been doing it for 23 years. So for 23 uh, years, we've well, been, we've been uh, having it fall into place. So, 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 so let me answer this question, which is a classic, uh, uh, entrepreneurial issue. Have you failed along the way of keeping this business going? Have you ever failed? So that's a great question, right? Cause if the business is still open, have we ever failed? That's a right. great question. So, so have I failed in what I think personally I fail at every day? Sure. When I ask my staff or my team, have we failed? They say no. Look what we've done in this pandemic. We've, we've, you've been, you've been interviewed three or four times. You've created articles. You've gotten out there. Uh, you, you've changed, you know, politics, pandemic and, uh, protest to, to progress, practice and planning. And so, you know, we've been able to take, you know, as they say, take the sour lemons and make some uh, lemonade out of it. But it's right. only because we believe and we've been there before and, and, and we've con- we've been in worse places, right? So so we know that we can dig out of it at some level, but it's up to our customers. It's up to everybody in this together to to want to to make a difference in where we are today. So it's not just me alone. But getting back to your question, I failed. Certainly, I failed. But if you look holistically, and would people say to me, "Have you failed?" If they looked at my life, probably not. But 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 personally, there are things that I've been challenged with that I think that. Uh, so the point, the, the point is that entrepreneurial owners is built in failure. Uh, every, fact, every CIO, when I ask them that question, they just, their face drops and they, it's a question of how many times did I fail? Right. And, and the point is that because you're forging ahead in the unknown, you can't, uh, the illusion may, may be the reason why you go and, and so on, but that doesn't mean you don't meet obstacles. But the right. fact that the fact that you have the momentum or the desire to just keep going, and as you said, you have experience, eventually you realize that you trust yourself. I could get by that because I've done it before. I've solved a problem. This may be a different problem, but I know I can solve problems. I know I could come out of turmoil. I know that uh, I lose a client, I'll pick up another client. I mean, you, there's a cycle in a way of, of, of that, of failure, not necessarily being failure, except it's a step forward. Uh, in, in the direction that, that you have to acclimate to as you grow. And, and to that point, you know, often as entrepreneurs, CEOs, we, we, we self-sabotage in some ways, right? We, we actually, you know, one of the, my, my biggest dream that I had when I started the business when I was 30 was to go around the world with my family when I turned 50. And now some people would say, how could you leave your business for whatever and do that? But we actually, when I turned 50, went around the world for seven months and left the business behind. Now, when I came back, it wasn't as pretty as I thought it would be. And that was of May of 18. But there was enough there that, that we could, we could piece it back together and we, and we kept going. So, uh, you know, and in that time we, we had a, uh, a client that made us put 30 people on site for six months on our own dime net 60 so we had a million dollars in in receivables and we got all our money back the day before the government closed on december 20th uh 2018 that's a day i will never forget is december 20th <laughs> uh, 2018 because uh uh what happened was i ran so hard coming back from this trip that i could never catch my breath and the government shutdown actually allowed me to catch my breath so it was uh a miracle that that government shutdown happened. And it was a miracle we got paid all our money back the day before the shutdown. So the shutdown was December 21st, 2018. And we got all our money paid back on December 20th, 2018. You made it. You got in there. <laughs> so you it's all, to, it's I, I, all I a race. To, I want to jump to something which is extremely timely now. 
that one of the organizations you were involved with, one of the N- uh, NPO nonprofits, uh, uh, Bite Back, which is to help the underprivileged uh, get more digitally educated and, and so on. This gap is so intrinsic now to our country that it's become really like a, a fault line. And to the degree that, that we had this upheaval this last couple of weeks, but in general that's been going on, I think part of it rests on the fact that we have this fault line. And and as you pointed out in, in, in the interview, you know, it's not easily able to overcome that. There will be the people who are able to go to the colleges and get degrees in, the, in computer science and technology and so on and, and leap forward. And then there are the people who can't do that and they're struggling and they don't see a way out of it. What are your thoughts about that? So uh, I believe STEM literacy is the key in many ways to to uh, social economic level playing field, but it takes it takes a lot, right? So so I live in DC. I live in the inner city. We work every day with with young people in the city. We we actually just brought on three interns, three high school interns, uh, starting February first. Uh, who are uh, D.C. public school kids that come from all kinds of diverse backgrounds. Last summer, we, we ran a program virtually for 40 high school kids. We run a program called uh, Mastery Now, which which is STEM, which I'm, familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with, science, technology, engineering, math, and then STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And we changed it to Mastery, which is STEAM plus R and Y. So we changed it to Mindset, Art, storytelling, technology, economy, reflection, and you, because we holistically now have to teach kids about self. You know, as we grew up, and I grew up, and, and you're, you're uh, probably a little bit older than I am, this concept of self was something we never really were taught in school. We were never taught self-compassion. We were never taught certain things. And And for me, what I've had to learn is – a lot of people use the word self-confidence, right? But as we talked about experience, you can't really get confident unless you have experience. And you can't really get confident if you don't give yourself the space to fail in a way that is compassionate to yourself so that you have that space to fail, rebound, and get up, knowing that life is, is challenging, right? So, so being somebody in a situation that is terrible is sometimes being like an entrepreneur where, where you have this uphill fight that you just keep climbing and has to have to happen. So that's why I, I found Bite Back in, you know, 20 years ago. And I love this thing of closing the digital divide. And part of the issue we have right now is that we have more resources in cities than we do in rural America. <clears throat> so right now in rural America, uh, where I see in D.C., there are scholarship programs for anybody in D.C. that has a certain GPA to certain colleges. Those programs don't exist in rural America. In, in D.C. right now, the D.C. government pays high school kids to go work at businesses. So last summer, we had 40 high school kids that interned for Acquired Data Solutions, which we didn't pay. The government paid them. So we created a model of a, a, a camp counselor model that we pay college kids to teach the high school kids STEM literacy. And it's been amazing because last summer, uh, what happened on March 16th when the, the pandemic hit, I really thought about how to, what would happen if kids never went back to school? What would they need to do to get a job? So I talked to my daughter who was 16 and they said, she said, well, we really don't learn about financial literacy or anything like that. And they teach, uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. But, but they don't really give us the real skills to, to go out and make it, if that makes sense. So we, we turned uh, STEAM into teams, which was technology, economy, arts, marketing, and socialize. So we really spent six weeks with these high school kids on how to socialize and how to put their cameras on and how to talk and how to be present. Because being present is a huge part of, of being able to get your work done, whether it's school or, or, or professionally or, or thinking out of the box. 
So, so I've always had this passion for the digital divide. I think the digital divide got smaller and then the pandemic has, has reopened a lot of that gap, especially virtual school where, you know, the younger your kids are and you have to work, the harder it is to be that teacher. And there's so many people right now that have to be a worker, a spouse, a teacher, a mentor, so many more roles than they had to have before the pandemic. And it's, it's, Great. I mean, we have we have two kids right now in virtual school. We're in Florida. My daughter is, is, is uh, rides horses, so we can we 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 have the luxury of being somewhere else. Our office has not reopened since March 16th in the D.C. area, and so but but we have a luxury of being able to move around. Not everybody has that luxury, and it's a very difficult time if you have kids. Or, and the younger the kid, the harder it is. So I my heart goes out to so many people through this time because it's 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 a uh, it's an amazing time that people have had to stretch themselves, which stretch is one of the values of ADS, that they have to stretch themselves in ways that they've never, ever had to do before. And it's, and, and it's and amazing. Children have an advantage of being, they're evolving. Adults who lost their job today, it's, I think, much more difficult for them. They have, first of all, the responsibility of, the, of being the breadwinner. Now they have to retrain themselves and their mindset. Uh, it is impossible to to grasp, particularly the dimension. It, it truly is the Great Depression back again in a different format. You know, where so so people of so many millions of families, and 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 and, and the social structure to deal with it wasn't yet in place, or even the understanding of what we should be doing wasn't yet in place. But what's interesting, if you look in the world of where we are now, you know, sort of the last two weeks even, right? If you want to look at pure capitalism, right, that's survival of the fittest, right? And people want to say, oh, I want the markets to do all this and all, and they talk about pure capitalism. They talk about socialism, but they talk about all these words without really knowing the exact definitions of what they're talking about. Now, if you're a pure capitalist, you're going to reinvent yourself all the time, right? Because you're going to study with the markets. You're going to figure out what's happening and you're going to reinvent constantly. But people don't want to reinvent. So tell me if that's, is that more socialist not to have to reinvent that there's going to be a job for you when you want to reinvent versus a capitalist society where you're constantly reinventing? It's a very interesting question because people talk about that we might become socialist. So what, I don't ever see America becoming socialist. I just I don't, don't see it. No, no. I think it goes against our grain, our self-respect. I think that alone is not our character. Uh, I think that the people who push it, uh, as you said, I think truly understand all the ramifications of socialism and where it leads to, you know, and on the surface it looks like it's a benefit, but there's a lot of strings attached to that benefit that become more complicated in terms of authority and who, and, and how it's controlled and, and what is shared and what is not shared. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see that as, as being a, a reality. Uh, and if you, want, if, if you want my job to be there for the coal industry, right, uh, that's more totalitarianism than it is uh, capitalism. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what it's leading to. That's what I'm saying. That's what I see it leading to. Once you open that door, uh, it's just human nature also. Those in power just give more power, and then they have more authority to tell you what to do or not to do. I mean, take a look at Russia. Uh, that's, that's pretty much the story. That's and and I don't think we'll, we'll ever be that way. And I and I think people do like their stimulus checks, right? So right. so we do need a safety net. We don't want to go back to 1932 or 1928. Right. Right. Uh, so so there's certain things we have to learn. But I do believe that we that people have to constantly reinvent themselves, and it's right. hard, right. and it sucks, and, right. and and I really feel badly for people. But if we want to be a capitalist society. It's a. It's purely around reinvention. Let, let me jump to something else that we discussed about, which is also very much in the news today. You're involved with cybersecurity, mm-hmm. and yet we just had some major, major, major hacks into our Justice Department, Department of Defense. Uh, it seems that no matter what we do, there's always that little loophole that somebody's able to get through the door. You know, there are always the, the, the darkness is. You know, we always have to find the darkness before we find the light, right? 
So, so, uh, it's an industry, right? There's an industry out there of how to, how to find vulnerabilities. And, and it's, it's again about the hustle, right? And who's hustling? The, the, the good guy or the bad guy? The, the problem, the, the great thing is, uh, once you find the light, typically you can solve, you can solve the problem and you can close the door. And that's why I believe, you know, you can never, ever get away in life scot-free. If there's something you do, it's going to come back to you some way. And so, so I think that, that we're not always thinking about the offensiveness of things because uh, I don't think it's because we're, we're, we're lazy or lackadaisical or anything like that. I just think there's people that are constantly thinking about things that, that we're not all the time. And, so, and we have to close those loops and we have to get the right people in there that actually want to be offensive thinking, right? And how to be, you know, in any sport, right? They say the best offense is a great defense, right? Right. So, so uh, in your role, with your company's role, do you get that deeply into the issues about China and Russia and all that? Is that the area that uh, we don't? We're really right now focusing on, uh, and because, so one of the things that I, we're a test company, right? And yesterday I got really lucky with Joe Biden's speech because he said something amazing for my business. He said, uh, he said, we're in a, we're in a time of testing. And I'm like, boy, I, I called my marketing person up as soon as I heard that. And I said, we have to use that line because I personally believe that every company is a test company. And every company is sort of an engineering company. But they don't think about ourselves as testers, right? But from the first day we come out of the womb, we're being tested, right? Our, is our temperature right? Is our blood right? You know, we're constantly having tests. But we don't think of ourselves as test companies, right? We don't even think of ourselves a lot of times as STEM companies, right? If, if I if I look at L'Oreal or or Nike, they don't think of themselves. They think of themselves as a shoe company or a clothes company. Well, I look at them as a STEM company. Without science, technology, engineering, math, none of this stuff exists. But we don't touch. We don't teach our young people that way, right? We don't teach our kids that point of view. So, but to get back to your question. We do, we got into cybersecurity by testing products. And for many years, products were, were disconnected from the internet. So they didn't have cybersecurity problems like your washing machine, your dishwasher, whatever it was. You right. just plugged it in at work. You didn't care about somebody hacking your dishwasher right. and flooding your house. Right. So now we are looking at from the operator's technology side because at the end of the day, even though you're getting digitally harmed, right? It's really the physical harmness of, 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 of hacking that really has the most impact on human life. Even though we were hacked and had these great hacks, nobody died over the hacking necessarily. I mean, you could, you could lose all your money and commit suicide and be, you know, have some terrible thing happen to you. But if somebody's hacking a water supply or, or electricity or something, that really has a higher impact. So, so we're much more focused on the, the, uh, physical side of the hack than actually, uh, the, the, the political or, or tech, or the network side of that. I saw a documentary with an Israeli's cybersecurity and he went downstairs to the garage where cars are parked and he had this person that was doing the interview get into his car and then he took control of the computer of the car while that person was sitting there and he made it go he wanted. So that was okay. But then he took him outside and he drove him to where they have their reservoir and water. And he showed him that he could turn on and control the water. Yeah. It was, uh, it was like, whoa, whoa. I mean, you know, it is a lot. Like you said, that's the big league and that's where the, the big risk is. But and so we just wrote an article that was published in Control Engineering talking about the IT of the OT talking about these hacks because in the government they you know government is an industry and 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 i love the industry of government we've just come out of four years where where nobody took that we took advantage of this industry of government uh, my wife has been a a a federal whole career and she works harder than anybody i know there are so many people in the federal government that work hard that are amazing people that know the business of government and 
And she came to me today and she said, wow, we're back in the business of government today. And it's so nice. So so government has these processes in place because they have people thinking about this stuff that haven't quite transferred down to utilities or commercial businesses. And so so we need to start taking those the, the ATO process, authority to operate concept of the government down into the utility and, and commercial sectors like we're doing with CMMC and which is the, <clears throat> the cybersecurity uh, maturity model certification that they're getting right now for DOD that, w- that a lot of companies are working on. And we have one of the first 25 auditors in that business right now doing that work. So 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 I'm excited for the business of government to get back to where it was. And and and. And I think there's a lot of great things that have happened in the, the last four years to, to uncover light and darkness, right? That we can go build on now because we have professionals that know the government of how to do that. So, so I think there's a, as we wrote in the article, there's a lot of great models in government that, that are now starting to be trickled down to commercial and utilities that are important in order to get to, to eliminate these vulnerabilities and risks. Just not to stay too long on this, but I'm just curious, is it, I'm a typical to deal with the government, a senator is a politician. His background is legal. His career has been uh, political. He, he, he has average intelligence, severe intelligence. Uh, but he's not an authority in anything in, techno- in, in technology. And, but he just, uh, a group decides, oh, we have to do more unless it's just for cybersecurity. So we're going to go look for companies to do that. And the companies want a certain amount of money. And then they look at the budgets and then they have six other budgets they're dealing with. And they don't give them what that company feels that they need. And also, they don't necessarily understand it the way, let's say, you would understand the, the issues. Because that's not their field. That they, they, they can read their papers all day long and be told by their, you know, assistants, but that doesn't mean they really grasp it. Is that a vulnerability versus, and I'm, I'm just speaking out loud, let's say China, which is get really focused and really appreciates, uh, you know, the issues of hacking and all that. And they'll, they'll put everything they got behind it. In other words, is our system of government itself a flaw? And I'm not saying we should change it. I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying, but it has an inherent flaw of the nature of the people who are making the governing decision and the ability to, to be, to really focus in on the way a totalitarian company, a country can do that. I, I agree with you 100%. I, you know, if you look at athletics, right? People are groomed their whole life to be a professional athlete. Right. And not only that, most professional athletes are freaking natures at some level because they got giant hands or can run faster and right. they are positioned to be great. We don't groom our politicians. We don't groom to exactly what you're saying, right. what, what somebody needs to be or look like to go play this position. Right. So I agree a hundred percent with you. Right. That it's not the government needs to change. We need to get the right players on the bus that actually are groomed to understand what's going on in the world. And, and we have to groom them like athletes because to, to, you know, to, to be a freak of nature is amazing. And you, there are so many brilliant people. Like you look at this 22 year old girl that gave this poem yesterday. Right. Right. Amazing. Right. There are so many bright stars out there. Yeah. And, and, I'm jumping for a second. Uh, I lived in L.A. for many years, and I was here during the great years of the L.A. Lakers. Yeah. And because of my connections, I went to many games, championship games. And I go down, and I get a seat, you know, sometimes on the sideline, whatever. I'm looking at these guys, six or ten, you know, all that. And everyone, and I say, you know, I never run into these guys in the elevator. Where are they all year long? I mean, who are these people? Where do they come from? In my ordinary course of life, I may have run into one person at a time and infrequently who's of that stature. But here you have this whole conglomerate of, and I said, where are they? Like, where do they come from? You know, it's like, it's like. And I was talking to a guy the other day about professional football players, right? right. And they, he said to me, asked me a question. He said, 
what makes a professional football player? And I said, speed, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, their hands. Their hands are so much bigger than mm-hmm. everybody else's hands. And, and I was lucky enough to, to shake De- Dexter Manley's hands, who was a Redskin. I don't know if you remember him or not. Uh-huh. But, his yeah, hands, yeah. Yeah. but his hands were bigger than my entire body. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he could enculp my entire body in his hand. <laughs> and it was just uh, amazing how big these, ma- these people's hands are. And it's not, you know, it's a gift, right? It, it, you're, yeah. you're, you're blessed yeah. to have these things. And, right. yeah. and to your point about government, um, I think we need to do a better job of, of, of grooming some of these issues. And, and maybe it's not the, the people, maybe it's what they're taught in school. You know, again, if you go into business and you don't have any technology behind you, I, I, I don't have an MBA. I started a business out of graduate school. And it's because I, I knew something. Now, would I have been better with an MBA and figured out all those things? Maybe I would have been. I don't know. But the point is that 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 I know to be in business. So for me, there are three things that that make an entrepreneur or that that I had to learn uh, in my in my journey. The first two are pretty self-apparent. The third one was a little bit more tricky than I learned much later. And the first one is you have to love to sell. If you think that you're the technical guy, you're just going to go out there and start a business because you have a great idea, chances are you're not going to make it as well as you think you might. You have to love to talk and be in front of people and and just be able to uh, uh, not sell because a lot of times there's there's these four-letter words like like sale, right? Sale is a four-letter word. Test is a four-level word. There's all these four-letter words. But you have to love to be in front of an audience. And the second thing is you have to embrace conflict. Conflict's all over the place. You have to really be able to be able to deal with all kinds of issues and have the stomach. And the third one I, I didn't know for a long time is that you have to figure out how to have self-compassion or figure out how to love yourself at times because the, the up and down is so great that if you don't know how to give yourself compassion or be in that moment or, or whatever, you're going to drown in, in, in the downward of the, of the water. And, and, and I had to learn how to love myself in a way that I never ever uh, knew even had the vocabulary for. Was your wife jealous? No, no. She's, she's, she keeps asking, when's it all going to translate? She doesn't see it. She's trying to figure out when all this stuff I'm working on is going to translate. You know, interesting, going back to sports and relevant to everything you just said and what you said before, I once worked on a project with somebody who had been a cornerback the Washington Redskins when they had won a whole bunch of uh, Super Bowl, I think four in a row, if I remember. And he told me something interesting about the game that I, I was a big fan of football. I love football and I was really caught up in it. But I never realized it, you know, watching from the distance. He says every game has its during the game its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You you you're intercepted, the other team scores, whatever it is. There's that drop period, and the coach has to recognize that and keep the momentum going, keep the motivation going, keep the inspiration. He's got to be able to detect that light, that ebb in the energy of his team beyond all the plays and beyond all you know the maneuvers. Simply understanding the tempo of, of the mentality. And it's yep. very much what you were just saying. It's that ability to rise up and, and, and deal with those downs. And particularly as a CEO, when it's internal and everybody's looking at you and you're really wanting to step outside for a moment and take a, a two-month break, you know what I mean? And that you can't. You've got to say, okay, i got to cast my belt. I mean, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride. It's, it's all a roller coaster ride. Who is, the, who is the quarterback, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I don't remember his name. Uh, he was that well, he was, and I'll tell you the most surprising thing about him that blew me away is I, I'm about five nine. Uh, I'm slim, I'm a little overweight, but I'm slim, and he was not much bigger than me. He was maybe five ten. Was it Dale Green? Was it Dale Green or somebody else? No, no, not, not, I'm saying it wasn't one of the famous people I, I would have remembered. So I'm looking at him, I said to him, I'm looking at his body. I said, how do you stop a pullback going around the corner? The guy weighs 230 pounds at full speed. And he had only one answer. You play in pain. 
Yeah, yeah, that's how you summarize it. You know, you got to stop the guy and it's going to hurt. But that's that's what you do if you want to stay in the game. But well, I think that's all of life. I think we're all playing in pain all the time, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in any relationship in a business. We're all yeah. playing in pain all the time. And it's how we figure out how to play with our own pain because we're not taught. We're not taught in life how to deal with the well, you know you okay you're touching on something very interesting i'm a writer and i and i i i study people and i study society so the one thing that that i see and looking back at my parents and that and my uncles who were depression experience okay yeah they had fortitude they knew what pain was in a real way they knew what difficulty was they succeeded in in, in what they were doing but they, that, it never left them. So they had a real deep value system in all respects. Even in marriage, it wasn't they were expecting the greatest, you know, uh, 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 remote, you know, the only illusions that they get on the on the movie screen and all that. They were very real. And and I, I often think that the generation today, unfortunately, doesn't have that experience. Uh, we, well, I, we live in a very a, a very strong, uh, I materialistic country. And right. and a lot of toys that people get and 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 they expect it and 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 what and besides that even though in their own personal lives but what the media plays up of course is a Trump's lifestyle not only a Trump but movie stars and baseball you know all that and they look at it and they think it's coming to them and you don't have to work for it I think there's a lack of character that's what I I perceive a certain lack of character and part of it because they didn't have that. You got to, you know, pull yourself up and really make it work. And that's my impression. So I, I have a theory on that. You know, I believe you're born sort of in the 1960s or later. You really haven't had to go through shared suffering. So we had right. so much shared suffering in the world, whether you were a, a, a oppression as a, as a, as a Jew, as a black, as, as World War One, World War Two, depression. There were so many things, Vietnam, Korea, there was so much shared suffering. And post, you know, pick a number, 1967, you know, if you're born in that year, right? Even if you were born uh, uh, post-civil rights, right? Your life was much different than if it was pre-civil rights. Right, right. And so, so and, and, and if you look at World War II, right, we haven't had a World War II, a World War since the, the 40s, right? We've right. had different skirmishes, right. but we haven't had the prolonged suffering. Even 9-11 was a right. short time. Even right. Afghanistan, it's really individual suffering. Right. So we've moved from a society or a world of shared suffering to individual suffering. Right. And, 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 and I, and I believe that's been great. And I, and I, and I love that, you know, in 2016, we sort of had a, a pushback to nationalism and, and, and this, this, this rise of nationalism. And Mother Nature had to step in and said, I'm going to create a pandemic and I'm going to go global and we're going to make everybody understand that globalism is the way of the future because we all have to be in this together. And, and we, we see that, uh, a pandemic has no bound, has no borders. Right. And we see that. And, and I think this pandemic is the most shared suffering we've had in 50 years. Uh, from, you know, from the end right. of really Vietnam right. to now. And I believe American history has moved in 150 year cycles. And I believe you know, if you look at it, the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to civil rights, that's 100 years. But if you look at those 50 years of the War of 1812, of 1919, of of 20 right. of 2020 50 years after civil rights right we've had to re-identify ourselves and reinvent ourselves and i can't tell you who's going to win or lose but i can tell you that that globalism and and the fact that we want to be who we want to be from our birthright whatever that is we we and we want people you know i believe there's only one lottery in the world and that's who shoot you come out of you can't choose who shoot you come out of. You can't choose what color you are. You can't choose how many arms and legs you have. You can't choose anything. And nobody should ever have any condemnation based on what they look like, who they are, because we can't control that. It's completely out of our control. Well, there's an interesting article. I thought a fascinating article 
uh, in Atlantic Monthly about individualism that started in the 60s when they started breaking away and instead of becoming uh, social responsibility, it was all about myself. And it's grown up in that way. And they lost a lack of community and belonging to something. They looked down on, let's say, the, you know, the, the elves, as an example, or the, yep. the lodges, okay? Yeah. But those were places where people got together and they felt part of a community. Uh, yep. religion is broken down, so people don't go to synagogues, they don't go to churches, and so on and so forth. So there's nothing really bringing people together. And then what they have is even more isolation with Facebook, where suddenly you have friends all over the world who you never met, you never saw, and you're distressed if he doesn't give you a like. And, you know, it, 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 the psychological impact of that, I think, is very stressful uh, and, and damaging in a deeper way. And I think part of what we're going through now, this whole upheaval is this, is, is, is part of that. We don't necessarily see ourselves anymore as collective, the way you're talking about it. We, 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 we're not... So we are suffering equally in the COVID. We are suffering, but we don't necessarily that the guy down the block who's got it, uh, is, is something that I really feel attached to. And, uh, 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 you know, I don't want to bring this together. Uh, and I, and, and I'm curious if it can bring us together with this great 50 years of, of, of 70 years even, I'm not saying 60 years from the 60s of individualism. I, I, I wonder what kind of lasting impact that's going to have. So it's very interesting. We're working right now on a series on the uh, on the pandemic post nineteen nineteen versus uh, twenty twenty. Right, right. So if you look at the nineteen twenties, okay, you can understand right now why the world was the roaring twenties. Right, go go go. There was no industry. There was no automobile industry. There was no travel industry. We, we were just getting there, and we just came out of World War One. We just had this pandemic. Everybody was locked in their room and they wanted to go and go crazy, right? So you right, can understand right. this thing of the roaring twenties and, and why Garfield, you know, why the president was, was, you know, loved at that time, but, but it led into the depression of, 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 uh, 1928. But you look now into where we are today. Okay. We all know what it is to go, 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 right? So we're going to be in a world of stay, stay, stay and has the pandemic now change the way we look at computer technology? Has it changed the way that you and I are just meeting right now, right? And I feel connected to you in a way that I, that I may not have felt connected to you nine or ten months ago if we weren't in person. And so all of these things of, of, of where I think Facebook and all these other things are, 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 have been, have led to a lot of problems, I think the digital world is going to change in ways that we're going to, to look at things from a social connected ways differently in the in this this decade because um, we've learned we don't have to be on the go as much to get what we need. Where before we didn't have that experience. So so I believe um, that the pandemic is going to bring its own issues, but I also think it's going to normalize some uh, thoughts and beliefs that we didn't have before this happened, that we're going to be better connected, that we want to use video to, to see somebody. We just don't want to be a Facebook friend. We actually want to get to know them, engage with them, be with them in a way that that we don't have to necessarily be there in person, but we need to spend that time as if we were. I mean, you know, getting people to call people on the phone even in, in the last 20 years has really been hard. Where I grew up talking to my mom all the time. My mom's been sick for the last three years. I lost my best friend while she's still living. And it's been really, really, really challenging. But the point is that we can connect with them and feel good about this. Like my father turns 85 on February 3rd and I'm in Florida and I want to go home and see him. And, and he said, well, you can't come home cause there's no virus yet. There's no vaccine yet. And there's no this, right. And so, so I have to zoom with him and, and have that relationship as if I was in person with him. And I think some of those things are going to change. And I think we're going to be a, a better 
more connected society and feel that suffering. And, 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 you know, the fact that we're just talking about it yesterday, about the empathy of people that were lost and that we can bring back this, the, you know, one of the reasons that, that we've changed this is because we don't talk about it. And the more we talk about it and the more we talk about how to be together and, you know, I only met you today, Charlie, and I want to be your best friend at some level because you have some amazing things to talk about and you have great insight and great wisdom. And and we can't okay. get that all the time, you know, in person running running from place to place. But we can do it better now if we can spend an hour like this and feel connected. Yeah. I, I, I think it's going to change. Yeah, I, I agree. There's no question the fact that we're in place uh, it gives a better perception of what we should really value. And, and, and I think what we miss most is that human connection. And I think yeah. it, it heightens it. Whereas we were driven because of, and it's my industry and I'll take the blame, uh, of, of, of the need to have, have the next model car, the latest car, the latest this, you know, we got so sucked into that. We forgot that the greatest satisfaction is your wife, your children, your friends, and people you associate with, you know. And if you go to the office and you crack a joke over the water cooler, that's as enriching as, as, as having next year's model. And it's deeper and it's more lasting. I think we're coming to appreciate that. I agree with you on that. Well, even in meditation, if you can just take a deep breath, right? They say that's a euphoric as, as, as a lot of things that we think are as equally as euphoric, but just be able to sit in place and breathe. They say it's going to give you as many endorphins as some of the things that we crave in life that, that we think we need when we don't even need them if we just take deep breaths, but we don't even know that. As an aside, I'm writing an article now on consumerism. There's something fascinating about America that we're on a treadmill. America, when it first started, we were an agricultural company, country, and a creation yep. company. You know, we're a revolutionary war, post-revolutionary war. You made a chair. How many chairs could you make a week? One chair, two weeks, three weeks. Along came the industrial revolution. Now, I just made a thousand chairs this week. What are, next week, I'll have two thousand. What am I going to do with them? So I got to start really selling them. And that's with salesmanship, which is really advertising, is salesmanship and print and media and so on. So, and you need to do that because you got to keep the friends. So the economy depends on selling. So we've got to keep driving people to want, want, want. And they can't get off of that because if they do, the economy shuts down. We're built on, on, on that cycle. So I ask myself, so where are we headed for? We we must keep holding up this this carrot in front of the donkey because otherwise he's not going to keep running. But he's not getting healthy because he has he's trying to reach a carrot. It's just more problems, psychological, emotional, family creates all types of problems. It's really interesting, and I don't and I have not been able to think for myself a solution to that because we can't get off that treadmill. That's our whole country is based on on. on Pushing sales, which is called capitalism, which yeah, is the foundation yeah, of America. Yeah, yeah, so if you yeah, want to be yeah, purely yeah. capitalist, you're going to be on that treadmill your whole life, right? So, right, and right. and and you know, we lived in a world at one time. You know, if you have a pension, right? right. Pensions at some level is a form of socialism, right? I mean, right, if we want right. to call a spade a spade, right? Right. And it'll, and retirement allowed people to get off the treadmill. Right. It's unclear if people will get off the treadmill in this coming up because we don't have the same safety nets as we once had. Right. We don't have corporations giving you, you know, uh, fixed pensions. We have right. 401ks that go up and down with the market, and we've seen right. the market do great. But we've also seen in 2008, 2001, you know, different times when the market collapsed and people people had to go back to work at some level. Right. So so so. As we talk about government and, and, and the new world and post-pandemic America, what is the balance between this treadmill, as you're talking about, and pure capitalism and, and people that just want to show up to the job every day and know they're going to get paid? You know, there, there is a, there is a huge balance in, in, in that, in that philosophical question. And, and, uh, I'll just take one comment about that. I think it's been studied at, at high levels of, uh, the economy, uh, you know, people study the economy and, and professors, but that's always in, you know, 
so so theoretical that it's not it's not relevant to anything. I'm sure that you know, uh, but when it comes down to reality, it's a big problem. Let me ask you another question. Actually, you answered this question a hundred times, but I want to ask it anyway. Uh, what keeps you up nights? Is there anything that keeps you up nights? Plenty of things keep me up nights. You know, my kids keep me up nights, uh, okay. both both literally and figuratively. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, uh, and and when you run a business you have a lot of extended family and, and everybody's problems is somewhat yours. And, and what keeps me up at night is the feeling that I'm never good enough. No matter how much I climb, there's some obstacle that I have to deal with because I want to keep my staff employed. I want to keep my kids fed. I want to keep all these things happen. So it's a balance of self of, and I go back to self all the time. Am I good enough? Do I need to be better? How do I improve myself? How do I do for others so that they can do for themselves and for me, potentially in the business? You know, how am I always giving? Those are the things that keep me up at night because it's not about me. It's about everybody else that's out there that, that, you know, for whatever reason, I feel that I, I, I have obligation to. So let me ask you one question. You have, you're no longer uh, a rookie, a neophyte. You have many years of experience under your belt. You have these questions. Do you have a? Is there still someone you could turn to as a mentor, who's older than you and been there longer than you and can answer those questions? Or Absolutely. I talk to people all the time. I have a two o'clock Zoom call with my uh, mindfulness coach today okay. to, to, to go through some of that about this question about delusion, right? Okay. So. So, uh, and, and Mark Epstein, who, uh, is a little bit older now, but, but we talk all the time about, about, uh, issues in life. So, so to, to me, if, if I can get my life right outside of my work life, but just my life right, my work life's going to be so much better. And I fight myself in that, right? I, my, I have an amazing wife. I have amazing kids, but I still fight myself in that ba- battle. And like I said, I, I love immigrants, right? To go back to the treadmill, anybody that's willing to get on the American treadmill is amazingly strong. And, and, and America needs those immigrants. And we need people, you know, my mother has been sick and we've had AIDS from all over the, the, the world come work with her. And I talk to them about their experience in America. And they talk about this American dream. And we laugh about it because we laugh about this American farce about how we have to work our tail off in order to get enough money to even think about it. But we all agree that the opportunity to be successful in America is always there if you want to work hard. When it doesn't exist in other countries, but it's a treadmill. I've had so many people tell me they just want to go home because they want to quit. They don't have somebody telling them, you know, you can't quit till you collapse. They don't have that person telling them that. So they just want to go home because it's hard. But if you can get through that, America can be an amazing life no matter how long you stay on the treadmill. What advice, my, always my final question, would you offer the one piece of advice to other CEOs who listen to the show? Never give up. It gets better. You know, your darkest day is never the, never as dark as you think it is, and nothing is ever as bad you think it's going to be. That's really great, yeah. Okay, I could buy into that. I, I think that uh, it really summarizes it very well. That uh, you know, all of us in, in, in some stage of our life go through dark periods, and and they're frightening when when you face it. But when you get through it, you suddenly realize, "Hey, I got through it." So when you face the next one, you realize, you know, I'll, I'll just give you one experience that unfortunately I lost my wife uh, many many years ago, and. What happens is that there are times you go places and it brings back a memory and you're totally overcome by it. And we used to, I really lived in LA then and we used to go up the coast. I went up years later up the coast by myself and this little port that I loved and fishing boats and seals and all that. And it was late at night and I went on to the boats that you go on. It was just empty and I was standing there and I was overcome by the memory. It really devastated. But I remember standing there saying to myself, you know, Charlie, you've been through this. You've been able to get through it. It, 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 it really washes you and it, 
but you know that eventually you're going to get through it. And that, it gave me that ability to get through it because I saw that I could. You know, I knew from experience I could get to that moment. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. The moments are dark, but once you've been through one or two, you realize you have the character and you have the the determination, the strength, the intelligence, experience that you can go beyond and do something beyond that. And use it quite often as a stepping stone to something else. It was dark because, so now I know what I need to be able to go beyond. This is to that, point, to that point, one other thing, uh, it's like reverse addiction. Addiction is really the time between hits, right? And you need a hit or a, a boost to, to get that, right? But if you can have that space between addiction because you've been there before and have that great pause, then it actually gives you more calm and more more uh, right. peace and centeredness because you don't need the hit because the hit is within you already in your DNA and you know that you can go longer periods of time and not suffer. This has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate it. We had uh, an enjoyable and very fortunate. Uh, Time to spend with uh, uh, Steve Seiden, who is a founder and CEO of Quiet Data Solutions, an engineering company that solves complex problems for little organizations like the Tobacco Defense, Transportation, and many others and major corporations. Continued success, and I'm sure you're going to get through all your hurdles, and it's just going to keep growing, and I'm sure someday you're going to take another trip. And then when you come back, it will be fine. Thank you very much, Charlie. This was great. Great great to meet you. Thank you for joining Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, in yet another insightful interview. Be sure to check out more stories from CEOs across the country at bitbean.com forward slash CEOs speak to learn more about what it takes to get to the top and stay there.